Genesis chapter 2 and verse number 25 were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. Chapter number 3, if you will skip over there to about verse um, verse number 6. And when the woman saw the tree, that it was good for food. Now there's a Thanksgiving message, isn't it? Saw the tree that it was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise. She took of the fruit thereof and did eat, and gave also to her husband that was with her, and he did eat. And the eyes of them both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made aprons, made themselves aprons. And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. And he said, Who told thee that thou wast naked? Hast thou eaten of the tree whereof I commanded thee that thou shouldest not eat? The man said, the woman, who, this is one of my favorite portions of all of Scripture. The man said, it was the woman. It was, come on, some husbands here. It was, he, he got that accusational finger out really, really quick, Brother Jamie. Did you eat? Woman. And the Lord God said unto the woman, What is this that thou hast done? And the woman said, I got a finger too. It was the serpent that beguiled me, and I did eat. And the Lord God said to the serpent, He goes on and, and uh, he, he uh, gives, gives a, a sentence upon the serpent, He gives a sentence upon the woman, he gives a sentence upon the man. And uh, verse number, uh, verse number twenty-one. And Adam also, and to his wife did the Lord God make coats of skins, and clothe them. Um, I want to talk to you to, this morning for just a few minutes on what to do with guilt, because what Adam and Eve did with their guilt is they hid themselves from God. I want to talk to you this morning for a little bit about what to do with guilt. Can you pray one more time? Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for talking to us today. Thank you for what we've already felt, what we've already experienced, what we, what we already know that you have done today. I pray, God, that you'll talk to us out of your word and that you will help us God, I pray that you will do exactly what you want to do. Nothing more and nothing less. Help us to, to facilitate what you want to do and get out of the way when it's time to do that. And we will thank you for it in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. amen. With that, you can be seated. Biblical scholars divide time into seven what they call dispensations. Now, I... I, I, I don't know. I guess I study the Bible a lot. I'm not sure if that makes me a scholar. I'm, I'm kind of uh, hesitant to call myself a scholar. But I do love the Word of God. 
Because there's power in that word. And uh, there's, there's so much good stuff. I, I have just absolutely fallen in love with studying the Word, Brother Pat. Uh, I, I, I've come to a conclusion and, and, uh, in Psalm chapter 1, verse number 1. It says, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful, nor stands in the way of sinners. I know I misquoted that, but I'm pretty close. He says, But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law does he meditate day and night. And he says this is the, the, what, what a blessed result is. This is the result of, of not standing in the way of sinners or sitting in the seat of the scornful, not taking the counsel of the ungodly and studying and meditating and loving the Word of God. He said this man will be blessed. He'll be like a tree that's planted by the rivers of water. His leaf shall not wither, and, and his fruit shall he bear in due season. I want to be a, a tree that's planted near a river. Because I understand, Brother John, that when in the middle of a drought, there's still water in the river. And so if we're planted by the river, we still have a source, and that source is the Word of God. He said the ungodly are not so. But they're like the chaff that's driven, and I don't know all about the ungodly. I'm not going to quote the rest of it about the ungodly. But I think there's a gap in there somewhere between he that meditates in the law of the Lord day and night and the ungodly. And I'm afraid that most of us fall in between there. I mean, there's the ungodly, there's the wicked, there's the sinner... And then he says there's the blessed individual whose delight is in the law of the Lord and he meditates in it day and night. If we want to be blessed people, we can't be in the middle. We need to be meditating in the Word of God day and night and delighting in the law of the Lord. Man, I, I, I pray that God will give us, and I'm already looking toward 2023, but I pray that God will give us a greater hunger, a greater desire, a greater thirst for the Word of God. Because in the end times, there's going to be desert places, there's going to be droughts, there's going to be famines, and the only thing that's going to keep us is the Word of God. Can I preach to you for a minute and tell you that Twitter is not going to keep you? And Facebook is not going to keep you. And CNN is not going to keep you. And Fox News is not going to keep you. And, 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 and whatever all that, that TikTok and whatever. All that junk is not going to keep us. The only thing that's going to keep us is the Word of God. So right now, we might as well get it in our mind. I need to learn to fall in love again with the Word of God. Because there's going to be a day... When, when the world is on fire, the Word is going to stand. The Word is powerful. And so the Word, we can learn so much from, from Genesis 1 and 1 all the way to, to Revelation 21. But uh, scholars divide up time into seven dispensations. Now, you can't find these dispensations delineated in the Bible, and I'm not sure that I totally agree with all of it. But I'm going to tell you what scholars say. Scholars say that the first dispensation is the dispensation of innocence. We just read about that, that they were, they were in the garden. They were naked. They didn't even know it. They were in a state of innocence, like uh, a newborn baby. At some point, uh, a baby uh, grows to the point where he has some self-awareness, and innocence is gone. But the first 
dispensation is called innocence. The next one, whenever their eyes were opened and they knew that they had done wrong and in fact they knew the difference between good and evil, that dispensation is referred to as conscience. And we all have a conscience. How many has ever felt your conscience prick you just a little bit because you did something you shouldn't have, you said something you shouldn't have, you went somewhere you shouldn't have, you, you, know, you, you, you know where you know what I'm talking about. So there was conscience was the next one. The, the next scholars say that the next dispensation, uh, just elbow somebody and tell them he is going somewhere, I promise. The next dispensation scholars refer to as human government. Noah and his seven other family members, they made it through the flood. They got off the boat and God says, Noah, uh, there's going to be some governing that you do. And one of the, the things that he institutes is, he says, if someone sheds man's blood, then by the hand of man will that individual's blood be shed. In other words, God actually instituted uh, the death penalty whenever Noah got off the boat. But it was by the hands of man that justice would be executed. And so we call that, or scholars call that, human government. The next dispensation, there is a man in the middle of the wickedness of, uh, of Ur of the Chaldees named Abraham. And God speaks to him while his name was still Abram and says, Abram, I want you to come out from among your people, among your kinfolk, and uh, come to a land that I will show you of. And he promises him, he says, I'm going to make you the father of many nations, and your offspring is going to be uh, greater than the stars of the sky and the sand of the sea. And through you, Abraham, will all the nations of the world be blessed. And so uh, scholars call that promise. Everybody say promise. After uh, the, this dispensation of promise, the children of Abraham, they find themselves locked away in, in uh, slavery in Egypt. God brings them out miraculously through the water into uh, the, the wilderness and God gives them the law. And the next dispensation is the dispensation of the law. And then finally, uh, the last uh, dispensation, the one that we are in right now, uh, is called grace. Because when Jesus uh, was crucified, it says that that old covenant, that old agreement, that old testament was, uh, was, was put to an end and a new testament was opened unto us, a new agreement with God. And so that by the blood of Jesus, uh, we have a new testament and we live in the era of grace. That we are not saved by our righteous works, but we are saved because of the grace of God. And aren't you thankful for the grace of God? And then the, the, what we look forward to, scholars call the kingdom dispensation. We don't need to get into that all that much. But what I find interesting today is that... Uh, we, we could have this idea that we kind of graduate out of dispensations, that uh, there's no more innocence and it's done away with. And then the, the dispensation of conscience, it's rolled away and they moved into human government and so on and so forth. And now we're in grace and none of that other stuff even matters. But I find in the Word of God that God is actually, Brother Homer, trying to take us backwards through those dispensations. And let me show you what I mean. Uh, that we are in grace. Somebody say, we are in grace. I am thankful for grace. But grace puts us in line with the law. Because the Bible says, uh, the, the prophet spoke prophetically, and he said, a new heart also will I give you, 
and a new spirit will I put within you. And I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh and I will give you a heart of flesh. He said, I will write my law upon your heart on the tables of your heart and you will walk in my statutes. In other words... The law has not been done away with, but the law has been put in our hearts when we receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost. All of a sudden, uh, Brother Jared, uh, I am not following. Now, i got to get down here. i got to talk for a minute. <clears throat> when we receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost, it is supposed to put the law of God on the inside of us so that we're no longer trying to follow God out of self-will or to check boxes in the law. But God put a desire on the inside of us to live for Him. God changed our minds and our hearts and our spirits. He, he made us into new creatures so that no longer... Uh, in the law, there are all these... These boxes that you had to check. I can't do this and I can't do this and I can't do this and I'm not supposed to do this. Uh, He said, thou shalt not... Okay, that's a good one. Thou shalt not kill. Now, don't raise your hand, all of you that have at some point in your life wanted to kill somebody. Not as a hyperbole like your children. Not like that. The only reason that I don't do it is because God told me not to. Our heart is supposed to change. Jesus said, love your enemies. That's a hard commandment. The only way that's possible is if the law of God gets placed into my heart. My old heart gets transplanted. And all of a sudden, Sister Teresa, I don't have hatred for my enemy, but I have some kind of supernatural love that comes... I I can't explain it except that God put it there. That's the way the law... I I feel like we're kind of hitting into something here right now. The law that God puts in our heart is supposed to change us. It is... can Can we lift our hands for just a moment? Father, I want to give you access... And I want to give you permission right now to do heart surgery on me. If I have held on to attitudes, if I've held on to desires that are not according to your law, I'm asking you, God, I'm giving you permission to write over those, erase that junk, and let your spirit have free course in my life. God, let your spirit, your word, and your law have free course in my life. In the name of the Lord Jesus, let it be done. It is not anymore that, well, I can't commit adultery because that's against the law. It's, I don't want to commit adultery because God put something different in my heart. God put His ways in my heart. And so in the, in the dispensation of grace, God takes us back to the law. Moving backwards, the next dispensation is the dispensation of promise. And God said to Abraham, He said, Abraham, through you will all the nations of the world be blessed. And I'm giving you the promise. Well, in order for... Okay, forget the 15 minute thing, I apologize. You know, it's only 11.55. What's time to God? 
You know, God gave Abraham this promise. He said, you come out of Ur of the Chaldees, and I am going to make you the father of many nations. And for decades, Abraham has no offspring. All Abraham had was a promise. Abraham's in the middle of a prayer meeting. He says, God, now this, this helps me out, Brother David Hill. This helps me out. Because Abraham, the father of the faithful, is in a prayer meeting and he says, God, how do I know? Woo. I thought he was the father of the faithful. Faithful Abraham says, God, how can I trust you? How do I know I can believe you? God says, okay, well, here's what you do. I want you to take a dove. I want you to cut it in half. I want you to take... And you're going you're gonna to sacrifice some animals. You're going to cut them in half. You're going to lay them out here. And, uh, and, and you just keep the birds off of them, Abraham. In the middle of the night, the Bible says that there's a... Uh, it's, a it's, it's some kind of fire. It's a lamp. It's some, some type of fire that, that passes between those pieces. And uh, the Old Testament... Uh, the, uh, the custom in those days was if two people were going to have a, a, an agreement, a covenant, that uh, they would do a sacrifice like that, and the individual that was making the agreement, they would say, uh, let it be done even as these pieces. Let it be done unto me if I don't hold up my end of the bargain. And that person will walk between there. In other words, he was saying, if I don't do what I told you to do, you just kill me. Well, God passed through the midst of those pieces. And so God was making a covenant with Abraham. Saying, hey, as long as the sun is shining in the day and the moon shines at night, and as long as uh, you, can, you can be assured, Abraham, that I will keep my end of the promise. And God entered into covenant with Abraham. And for 16 years, nothing. 16 years. If I, if I remember my Bible right. Nothing happened. And Abraham's in the middle of a prayer meeting again. God, I've tried to fix this on my own. God, we, you know, I, I, really, I really need... And, and God says to Abraham, I'm giving to you the covenant of circumcision. And he tells him, I want you to go and I want you to, to, to be circumcised. I want every, all the males of your house to be circumcised. And I promise you, Abraham, my promise is going to come to pass. One year later, basically as fast as it could anatomically happen, there's an Isaac that's born. Because it wasn't enough for God just to enter into covenant with Abraham. But Abraham had to enter into covenant with God. It's kind of like getting married. When you said I do, she needed to say I do too. I mean, you're not married unless both of you say I do. There's two sides to a covenant. And so when God entered into covenant with Abraham, nothing happened until Abraham entered into covenant with God. Then the promise came to pass. What's that have to do with what we're talking about? When Jesus hung on a cross, He entered into covenant with us. A blood covenant. But we enter into covenant with Him 
Colossians says that you were, you were not circumcised with the circumcision of the flesh, but you were circumcised with the circumcision of the heart when you were baptized. And when we are baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, we enter into covenant with God. Please don't think that, that you can just be a worshiper, that you can repent and be part of the covenant of God, and be part of the kingdom of God. The Bible says, except a man is born of the water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. There's something significant that happens whenever we go under that water in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's blood that's applied. There's covenant that we enter into. And all the promises of faithful Abraham, we become part of the promise. Man, that name... Oh, oh, I forgot. I left out a really important part. In Hebrews it says something about when God could swear by no greater, He took an oath that even that He swore by Himself because there was no greater. That was talking about whenever Abraham laid those pieces out, God swore by Himself. So help me, me. Some of y'all get that later. It was whenever those agreements were made, they were always done in the name of the greater party. Now, it's kind of like marriage, not saying that men are greater than women, but there is a name change involved. And marriage is done in a name. That preacher stands up and says, I would like to publicly and for the first time present to you Mr. and Mrs. Jamie Jarrett. I saw you looking at people back there. Say the name's important. The name is important. The name is important in a covenant. And whenever I get in that water, I'm not going in my name. Paul said, I didn't baptize you in my name. But there is a name that is greater than every other name. And we're going to enter into covenant with the greater name. That name is Jesus. I don't want titles. I don't want mister. I don't want son. I don't want father. I need the name that is above every name. And that name is Jesus. That name puts us into covenant with God. Takes us back to the blood that is on the cross. Takes us to His sacrifice. It's that name. It helps us. It causes us to enter into the promise. And I really am going to hurry. I promise. You see... The next thing that we do, I'm, I'm just going to skip over human government. We'll have a discussion about it later. But I want to take you back to conscience. Because we never escape conscience, do we? I mean, I know I've, I've made this example before and some of y'all will pick up on my past. But you will remember for the rest of your life that pencil that you stole in first grade. We don't need to have confession right now. You can remember that for the rest of your life. You can remember the, the things that you have done. And, and, if, and if, you, if you go out here and you, you, you drive through Golly Bridge at 75 mile an hour and, and you, 
you wave at the cop but not nicely. Whether he pulls you over or not, before you get to Cathedral Falls, you're going to feel some guilt on the inside. For what you said to your, your spouse the other day, those hurtful words, you might have hurt them, but you feel the guilt on the inside. There's, there's guilt. And, you, and some of us in the apostolic church can look to our past 10 years, 20 years, 30 years ago, and we still can feel guilt about that stuff that we did those many decades ago. And you don't have to say amen about that. I know that I am, I know where I'm at today. Is that, is that we feel inferior, we feel unworthy, we feel all of this condemnation on us. And God does not want to leave you in the dispensation of conscience. Hebrews 10 and 1, For the law having a shadow of good things to come, and not the very image of those things, can never with those sacrifices offered year by year continually make the comers thereunto perfect. For then would they have not ceased to be offered, because that the worshippers once purged should have had no more conscience of sin. Every year in that Old Testament temple or tabernacle, they would bring a sacrifice to the Lord. And it says that every year there was a remembrance of sins. It said if it could have purged, if it could have cleansed the conscience, then they wouldn't have had to come back every year. But the Bible says it is impossible that the blood of bulls and goats and the sprinkling of a heifer and all this stuff in, in Hebrews chapter 9, he said, uh, and, and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean, that sanctified to purify, excuse me, to the purifying of the flesh. He says, it, it's impossible for those sacrifices to make the comer thereunto perfect. You can bring all the sacrifice that you want in the Old Testament. Bring a sacrifice and pay your debt. But there's still a remembrance of what you did. There's still a conscience of what you did. And that Old Testament model, Brother Jarrett, they could not escape their own conscience. You know, if, if, uh, if you did run down through Golly Bridge at 75 mile an hour and you, you did that stuff and, and, and then, then you got pulled over and you decided you didn't want to be arrested so you tried to flee on foot and then, uh, you, you, know, then, you, then you resisted arrest and you, you, know, you know, they're going to put you in the slammer. They're going to put you in the slammer. And you will serve your time and pay your debt to society. And you can walk out, but you still have a record and you still have a conscience. You paid your debt, but you still have a record and you still have a conscience. Served your time. But the record still follows. And your conscience, you cannot absolve yourself of. You can, you can repent over and over again. You can, you, can, you can do all the good works that you want. But you, still in the back of your mind, you know what you did was wrong. 
That's what the Old Testament was like because Hebrews 9 and 9, it says, the figure for the time then present in which both gifts and sacrifices were offered that could not make them perfect as pertaining to the conscience. It didn't matter how many gifts they gave. They still had a guilty conscience. They still carried around guilt. But Hebrews 9 and 14 says, How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without spot unto God, purge your conscience from dead works? The blood of Jesus is supposed to wash not just our sins away, but our conscience clean. I don't know about any of you folks. I got got baptized. I was 21 years old. I got the Holy Ghost just a few days before my 22nd birthday. I wasn't perfect. All the perfect people, raise your hand, please. I'm like that song, He's Still Working on Me. But I'd been in church for, I'm going to say, at least a couple of years. And a man came to me and said, I need to talk to you about something. And he started talking to me about something that I had done years before. You know, this hurt me, and this... And I'm like, he said, you did this, and he's like, yeah, I did. What do you want me to do? Am I supposed to feel bad about what I did that's now under the blood? I felt sorry for him because he's hanging on to something that God's not even hanging on to anymore. I feel the Holy Ghost right now. God wants to purge our conscience of dead works. He wants to cleanse us. What's He want to do? He wants to take us beyond conscience back into the garden when they were innocent. Romans 5 and 19, we read about one man's disobedience, that by many men were made sinners. So by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. The word righteous means rendered innocent. Now, now we've got to unpack that for a second. Because you can go to Southern Regional and do your time. Or Mount Olive and do your time. You know how bad you did. And you can pay your debt and get out. But you still have a record and you still got a conscience. That blood of Jesus not only forgives you, but it also cleanses your conscience and expunges your record. And I was listening to this preacher. He had spent some time in jail. I'll give you his name if you want to go listen to him. His name's George Hurt. But he spent some significant time in jail. And uh, 
after he got out, he was, he, he's, he's, he's been a good boy since he got out. He was a felon, got out. And he said, the state of Indiana has expunged my record. He said, I can run for president if I want to. He said, anybody can be president now, apparently. I can run for president if I want to. I can, I, can, I can run for sheriff if I want to because I don't have any record at all. My past bad deeds, there's no record of them. They don't exist anymore. I don't have to regret it and it's not going to follow me ever again. That's what is supposed to happen in that water is those bad deeds are purged. They're gone. They're now not even part of our life. Behold, all things are made new. God wants us to walk in the newness of life without regret and without guilt. Because when God came walking for them, you can stand. It's been almost 15 minutes. Y'all can stand. You know, almost, Playing horseshoes, you can almost get a ringer by throwing it over the peg too. Not just coming short. Let's lift our hands. Father, you're wonderful. Father, you're altogether lovely. If you are carrying guilt, you're carrying something that Jesus already carried to the cross. You weren't designed to carry it. You're not, in, you're not strong enough to carry it. You're not supposed to carry it. If you're carrying it today, I am begging you to come to the front of this church and leave it at an altar. If you are carrying guilt and shame, I am begging you today, come to an altar and renew a relationship with Him and say, Jesus, I know You already paid the debt and I know that You shed blood so that my mind and my spirit could be absolutely clean. Jesus does not want you to walk around every day burdened by your past, knowing that you've been forgiven, but still feeling the guilt of what you did. That's not being set free. But the blood of Jesus is able to set us free of all guilt, of all shame. I want you to take the hand of somebody beside you right now. I want you to begin to just pray. Father, I love you. Father, I love you. God, I'm asking you today that you will help us to erase every, every vestige of guilt, every, every trace of shame, every tiny bit. God, we're your children. And, and we don't earn what you give us, but God, we receive it today. God, I pray this day, let us walk in a newness without guilt, without shame, without this stuff weighing on our mind and causing us to not be able to walk in joy. God, deliver your people from guilt. God, deliver your people from shame. Here's what you do with guilt. You give it to Jesus because He already paid for it. This is what you do with guilt. You say, put it on Jesus' tab because He already paid for it. Now, with that hand, I would encourage you as the music comes, what I encourage you, take that hand 
and lead somebody to an altar today. You don't have to bow. You can if you want to. But I want us to just come and gather around this altar and begin to receive. Oh God, I thank you. Let's just start out that way. As you come around this altar, why don't you just begin to say thank you. God, I thank you because there's stuff I know I did and I remember that I did and you don't even remember it. Lord, I thank you. You got to stop trying to be worthy on your own because you'll never make it. You got to stop trying to be just on your own because you'll never make it. We are justified by His Spirit. We are cleansed by His blood. It's not by our own righteousness. Our righteousness is as filthy rags. But His righteousness, God, I thank You. God, I thank You. Will You begin to just, just talk to Him today? God, I thank You. I receive, I receive a cleansing in my spirit.